Welcome to Unconditional Love Fellowship with Bishop Malcolm Smith. This is episode number 39, recorded February 12, 2013, God's Song. For more information and more teachings by Malcolm Smith and Unconditional Love Fellowship, please visit www.malcolmsmith.org or check out the new ministry website at unconditionallovefellowship.com. And now, Bishop Malcolm Smith. The Lord be with you. And I want to share with you tonight from one of those texts that probably we've all read and not even really noticed it was there. And it has become something that I have to share with you. And so I want to read the context, that is the verses around it, and then look exactly at what it's saying. It's the story of John the Baptist, and right there, we don't talk about John the Baptist very much, Um, and you'll find the story, at least the one I'm talking about, in Luke's Gospel, chapter 1, and um, in verse 59, uh, it says, it happened on the eighth day, that is, after his birth, they came to circumcise the child, they were going to call the child, Zacharias, after his father. But his mother answered and said, No, indeed, he shall be called John. And they said to her, There is no one among your relatives who is called by that name. And they made signs to the father, who had, if you remember, been struck dumb until the child was born. And so he can't speak. And that's why the mother spoke. They made signs to the father as to what he wanted the child called. And he asked for a writing tablet and wrote as follows. And he wrote on the tablet, his name is John. And they were all astonished. And at once his mouth was opened His tongue was loosed, and he began to speak in praise to God. Fear or awe, wonder, came on all those living around them, the whole neighborhood. Um, And that neighborhood was the, the hill country of Judea. And so up in the little farms and down in the valley, wherever people lived, there it was the talk. And all these matters were being talked about in all the hill country of Judea. All who heard them kept them in mind. And they were saying, what then will this child turn out to be? For the hand of the Lord was certainly with him. And it's that question that was discussed for many a month. Uh, in the hill country of Judea. What will this child turn out to be? It's, it's that story that stands right at the beginning of the gospel. And you might remember Zacharias and his wife Elizabeth. They were very old and they were childless. Uh, they just couldn't have children. And in those days, that was looked upon as a great sadness, because in their eyes then there was no further giving forth of the life of the family. It ended with Zacharias. 
And, and so they had prayed and they had prayed. And now they're very old and they've given up on the idea. And Zacharias, who is a priest in the temple, and uh, there were so many that they had shifts that you take this week and then you won't be back for so many weeks. Uh, and it came his time to do his weekly shift in the temple and the sacrifice. And as he would go to pray, suddenly an angel is standing beside him announcing that his wife will become pregnant and they will have the child that they have always wanted. Well, the response of Zacharias, um, let me read it to you. It's in verse 10 of chapter 1 of Luke. The whole multitude of the people were in prayer outside. John has gone in, uh, sorry, Zacharias has gone in to pray. And verse 11, an angel of the Lord appeared to him standing to the right of the altar of incense. Zacharias was troubled when he saw the angel. Fear gripped him. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zacharias. Your petition has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son and you will give him the name John. And you will have joy, gladness. Many will rejoice at his birth. He will be great in the sight of the Lord. Drink no wine or liquor, which meant that he was a Nazarite, which is another whole subject. Uh, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit while yet in his mother's womb. And so on and so on. Zacharias, verse 18, said, How will I know this for certain? I'm an old man. My wife is advanced in years. The angel answered, said, I'm Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. I have been sent to speak to you to bring you the good news. Behold, you shall be silent and unable to speak until the day when these things take place because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their proper time. And, and, and so it speaks for itself. Zacharias had become dumb. He couldn't speak and had to communicate by writing. Now the wonder has happened. Elizabeth has been pregnant for nine months and the baby is now born and it's the great moment where he shall be named, which was so important to these Israelite folk. And so the, the wife who is in on this because Zacharias has communicated to her and she says his name shall be John. Um, that that uh, shocked everybody and everybody wanted a piece of the action. They all said that, no, 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 you can't call him John. He should be Zacharias. He's carrying on the family name. And so today we'd probably say Zacharias the second or the third or whatever. Um, but but they, they said, no, you can't call him John. You, you have to abide by the tradition of the hill country. His name must be Zachariah. She stamped her little old foot and said, no, his name shall be John. The people are up in arms. They say this. No, you can't do this. You're upsetting all the customs of our people. And so they turn towards Zechariah, still dumb, and, and, and they said, what shall his name be? You tell us. 
that this woman has gone nuts. And so he writes on his uh, piece of paper, his name shall be John, which was saying, I'm doing what the angel told me to do. And immediately his tongue was loosed and he spoke and he praised God. Very well. Everybody got the message. This is an unusual event. Unusual enough that this ancient couple should have a child. But now this total breaking with tradition and custom and calling him John. John! Totally out of sync with the family and and with everything they had been brought up to be and do. And so they went away quietly, no longer trying to organize this little family. And as they chatted, and you could see them at the gates of their farm, and whenever they met on the highway, it was the talk, it was the talk that this child has been born. And the, the, the writer, Luke, he condenses all of their talking down to one sentence and says that they were saying, what then will this child turn out to be? And that's it. What, what on That they recognize this church, this child is different. This, this child is unusual to the max. What? If, if this is how it began, what shall this child turn out to be? That, that is what, in fact, the very words turn out to be, as if there's something inside the child that has got to be unwrapped. Something within the child has got to be realized into history. The potential of this child the potential. What, 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 what shall this child turn out? What, what, what is wrapped up in this child that history is going to reveal? What, what is the latent abilities? What is the latent destiny? What, what, what is the, the bank of resources in this child that is awaiting to be drawn upon. You, you get what they're saying. There, there's, so, there's more to this child than meets the eye. What, what shall this child turn out to be? And <laughs> the fact is, they never could have answered that. They, they never dreamed of the answer to their own question, that this child was the one who was the last prophet of the old era, that the last prophet, they they had rolled on through the centuries, that those most ancient prophets like Samuel, and and, well, all the way back to Moses, and and, and then the the great prophets like Isaiah, and and, uh, Micah, and and Obadiah, and, and Jeremiah and Ezekiel and Daniel, the prophets, they came with their message. These people that were asking this question could never, never imagine that this child was the last of that procession of prophets, the last one. And as being the last one, he would be the introducer, 
to Messiah. All the prophets had spoken of this one who was to come, the one we know as Jesus. But they'd spoken in, in mystery. They spoke beyond their own understanding. They, they, they could never comprehend that God would become flesh and dwell among us. And so their prophecies, that they speak a truth that they themselves didn't understand. But now the very last prophet is the one who shall say to Israel and in fact to the world, here is your Messiah and introduce him there on the banks of the River Jordan, that the people who said, what shall this child turn out to be, could never imagine that to this child would be given the destiny, the honor of introducing Messiah, Jesus, Savior, Lord, to the people. No, they couldn't, they couldn't. Their question was bigger than their brain could hold. And what comes to me very forcibly is what what have you turned out to be? What have I turned out to be? And what will you and I, what will we turn out to be? What, what, what is the potential? What is that holy destiny that is inside of each one of us that has been, is, and yet awaits to be unwrapped? Now, that's the question. And I, I, right, I, know, I know what you're saying. I can almost hear it. Um, and it's a good question. You're saying, but that was John the Baptist. Uh, I, I, I'm not John. Um, I, I'm just a little nobody. I'm just an office worker. I just go to the factory, every, whatever. And for some of you in your teenage, you're just a student in school, you're in college, whatever. You say, why? This question was asked concerning John that had such an unusual birth and such unusual events. Me, you, we're not John. Look, let's get some things straight. And, and this can be very shocking to, to many. So be ready for it. Jesus said in Matthew's gospel, he said that the person who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than John. <clears throat> okay? He said he that is he or she that is least in the kingdom of God, which means the newest comer to the kingdom of God, the person who came to Christ this morning, the the person that has just been in the process of discovering the the wonder of, of who Jesus is and the reality of his living within us, 
the least. You, you haven't grown yet. You're a babe in Christ. But he said, the least in the kingdom of God is greater than John. How come? I know we, we read the scripture and we think that, you know, the Isaiah and the Jeremiah and the rest of them and John the Baptist that were so much greater than us. Uh, really, the word greater is, is, is not the word, but um, I, I'll use it anyway. The, the idea that they, I mean, they were the guys with the halos and the lightning coming out of them. Well, let's get this in perspective. They, right up to John, they belong to the old covenant, the old order, the old era, which was under the law of Moses. And it, it was the wonder of God speaking in that old order, but his word was concerning the one to come. And his word in that old order was a new people of God that would come forth from this old order. And that new order would be a people that would be beyond the comprehension of those under the old order. In fact, Isaiah, looking at those of the new order after Messiah had come, he said, in that eye has not seen, nor ear heard, nor is it ever entered into the heart of man. It's not be conceived by the mind of man the things that God has prepared for those who love him. Well, said Paul in Corinthians 3, indeed, indeed, he said, eye has not seen, ear has not heard. Isaiah could never have conceived of, of the things that have happened in God becoming flesh and us being filled with the Holy Spirit. But he said, yeah, that was true. Their eyes couldn't see, their ears couldn't hear, their mind couldn't conceive. But he said, it's been revealed to us through the Holy Spirit. As Jesus said, the least in the kingdom of God, you've just come into this wonder. Savor the wonder of it. Really savor or stand back in awe or another bible would behold what manner of love the father has bestowed upon you with john the baptist the old era stopped and a new era came into being in the coming of jesus and John the Baptist, his mission was to say, basically, Israel, the world, meet your Savior, meet your Messiah. But you and I have believed upon Jesus. We have been joined into him by the Holy Spirit. You and I are the fulfillment of what the ancient prophets said. What their eyes could never see is what has happened to us in Christ. What their ears couldn't hear, we've heard it. We've heard the word of God and his name is Jesus. What their mind could never conceive, we have not only understood it, but we live it, the Holy Spirit within us. The least in the kingdom of God is greater than John, said Jesus. 
which means <laughs> that your true birth is a greater wonder than John's because your true birth took place when Jesus rose from the dead, when death itself was unraveled, when darkness was disintegrated, and Jesus rose from the dead, carrying you and I with him. And when we discovered that, heard it, believed it, that resurrection life came into our inner person, and we were born born again, born from above. Oh, no, put it there, know how wonderful you are. Know how wonderful you are in Christ Jesus, in this kingdom of God that came about through Jesus. Oh, yes. No, you're not, John. And you can sit and hear what I'm saying and thank God you're not John. And thank God that you're not living in the day John lived. Because Jesus said again that prophets and men of God of old have longed to see the day in which you're living, but they didn't see it. But you are in the day. No, you're not John, thanks be to God. You're not Moses, thanks be to God. You are a child of God, united to Jesus Christ, no longer speaking of that which shall yet to come, but that which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Oh, yeah. So now get back to the question. If they could ask the question concerning John, good grief, what the question is concerning you and I. What shall this child turn out to be? What is wrapped up in you? What is your potential? Unbelievable. I mean, to... to just begin to answer that is your reason for being. It is your reason for getting out of bed in the morning. This that is wrapped up in you and I is the song that the Holy Spirit has given us to sing in life. I'm not talking about this right now. Um, it would take us totally off the subject. But in Ephesians 2, I think it's verse 10, and it says, you are God's workmanship. And that word workmanship in the original language is an artistic word. And it's closer to a melody, a song, a poem. And so you could say, you are... God's poem. You you are God's lyric. You, you are God's song. There's a song that he would sing through you that he would sing through no one else. You are his song. You are his song. And in that, and I have to say this, um, I am not speaking about some vast what shall I say, vast ministry. Let, let me put it like this. When I have spoken sometimes in Bible schools 
or talk to young men aspiring to some sort of ministry. I, I often ask the question, what, what is your vision? Where do you think you're going? And it, it has been amazing because every Bible school student, well, I, no, maybe not every, but a great percentage their answer to that has been something like that they're going to have a worldwide ministry, that they're going to be pastor of a mega church, that they're going to have the greatest ministry in the United States or the UK. Or uh, that, That's just not the Bible. Um, that... that, that that actually is neither here nor there. The, the, the ministry that God speaks into us is a ministry of being. That those answers that have been given to me fit more to the 21st century idea of fame and universal importance it's a it's a actually a very sick idea that if enough people know my face if enough people know my name if enough people listen to me then i have worth i have significance no 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 before ever you can have a ministry that touches the ends of the earth you have the ministry which is simply being that's what's wrapped up in you I don't know where it's going to lead to, but that is what is wrapped up in you, the, the, the being. The, the, so it, it means just in the ordinary, you know, the, the very ordinary that what? Probably the most 100 people know about you in that ordinary, and half of those don't really know you. I mean, really serious ordinary but that's the arena where you turn out to be. You, the, the, that which happens every day. It's, it's your work. It's, it's your school. It's, it's certainly your home. It's, it's where you be in life. All. And we have a hard job with this because we do think... Um, uh, of of ministry in terms of full-time ministry. We think of ministry in terms of church buildings and arenas and people and advertising. And No, the entirety of life, which of course was being spoken of with John. He lived a lot before you heard of John. John out there in the desert, John unknown to anybody. He, he was being... In being, he was becoming, um, and and it's here in the everyday. That's all ministry in Bible terms, where where we be in Christ, and that being in Christ infuses everything we touch, all we put our hand to. For me to live is Christ. Have you noted this? How many characters of the scripture were not what today we would call full-time ministry? Have you, I mean, when you think of Abraham, I don't know what you think, but Abraham was basically a wandering, bedouin rancher. 
I mean, I don't. I, you don't think of Abraham as a minister, do you? Abraham was a rancher, only he was a Bedouin type of rancher. You know, the Arab Bedouin type who wanders with his tents and his sheep. Um, Daniel, what was a person in high office in in state in the court of Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, um, he, he would be found today in Washington. He, he was in a place of politics. Um, do, do you ever think of that? Uh, I could keep going. I mean, Moses spent 40 years of his life as a prince in the house of Pharaoh. And as Prince, he was general of the army. He was anything but a preacher. And then for 40 years after that, he was a shepherd out in the desert. And his expertise was looking after sheep and caring for the sick sheep. And how much will this sheep get at the market? And I want to buy so many sheep. And And at 80 years old, after 40 and 40 years of just being, he becomes the Moses you know. Even Paul, we we say, well, Paul was full-time in ministry, whatever you mean by that. But but Paul was um, a man who supported himself by making tents. And um, that's what he would be known for. And then uh, as he traveled and and made tents to make expenses, and then he would share his understanding of Jesus. Um, I just want to emphasize, what shall you turn out to be? I'm not speaking that suddenly one day you'll find your destiny as the next great TV evangelist. I mean, just where you are, just who you are, those that you meet, what shall you turn out to be? And what you turn out to be is, first of all, before God and in God, Your being is to the Father. Your being is in union with the Son, Jesus, and your being is filled with the Holy Spirit, and that spills out to those around you. What shall you turn out to be? You say, well, this is probably a great message, but I'm a bit past it, you know. I mean, I wish I'd have heard this message when I was 16, but today I'm so old. Well... God is into old. Um, have you ever thought about the fact that Abraham, you, you know nothing about Abraham until he was 75 years old. Did you know that? 75, and he didn't get started even then, really. Um, and as I say, even then he was uh, not what we would call a full-time minister. He, at 75, is when he began to hear the voice of God and and to develop and move in faith. Um, Moses, as I've just said, he saw the burning bush when he was 80 years old. Ever thought about that? 
80 years old was Moses, and therefore, what, 81, 82, when he finally went into Egypt and said, let my people go, and all that follows, everything you know about Moses was after he was 80. Come on, get with it. Um, Those of you that are maybe in a nursing home or already have given up on doing or being anything in life. Uh, Do you remember Caleb? We talked about him. He was 85. In fact, it was his 85th birthday when he made his great statement that now I'm ready to take my portion in the land. No, God takes his time building life into us. I, I have more problem, uh, actually, with, of saying a person is too young um, rather than too old. Um, sometimes the excitement of youth has, has no substance. Um, but well, what am I saying? I'm just saying, what shall you and I turn out to be? No, you're not, John. You are you, where you are. But inside of you is the potential of Jesus Christ himself, the Holy Spirit living within you. So don't don't look at other people's song. Don't look at other people's giftings. Because you'll only end up envying them and comparing and saying, I have nothing, they have everything. And of course, the truth probably is they're looking at you saying the same thing. The moment you compare to others, you become blind to your own. And as you look at others, which we only see what we see, when you look at what other people's song of God, the unique song is written in them, and we want what they've got and envy what they've got, we become not only blind to our own, but we tend to despise the song that God has written in us. Oh, John, well, how should this child turn out to be? He, he, it says, the angel told Zacharias, we just read it, that he shall be filled with the Holy Spirit from his mother's womb. That's very unusual, especially for the Old Testament. Um, the, the Holy Spirit was far between in the Old Testament. But you, you who are greater than John... Well, the mark of the New Testament that comes to us in Jesus is that the Holy Spirit dwells within us. The mark, the signature. What does it say? Romans 8 and 9. If any man has not the Spirit of Christ, he's none of his. Which is a negative way of saying what Galatians 4 says, that the Holy Spirit is the one who witnesses within us that we are the children of God. And the Old Testament, those prophets who hardly knew what they were saying in terms of understanding it, uh, but they, they with one voice said this new that is coming in Jesus is characterized by the Holy Spirit. So again, you are filled with the Spirit in a fashion that John knew nothing about. Isn't that incredible? But it's true. And the Holy Spirit is the one working in us now to draw out this song. I'm calling it the song, the, the mission, the, that which Christ would be in you and through you. It tells me in Philippians 2.12, 
that, that we work out our salvation with fear and trembling. And, and that word work out is a word which means to bring to harvest. It's a farmer's word. It means the seed has been planted. Now we bring it to harvest. And he then assures us we bring it to harvest, but we can only bring it to harvest because it is God, God the Holy Spirit, who is working in us to will and to do of his good pleasure. Working there, the original language is energy, energize. The Holy Spirit's almighty energy, love, power works in us to will and to do, that is, to put the ideas in our head. He wills it within us. We listen, we hear, we overhear sometimes. This is his design and his desire in us and through us. And he is the ability to do that. Let, let me be practical. We're talking about turning this out, bringing it to pass. So let me be practical. What is he working in you? What is the seed, the unique seed that is planted to blossom in you and in me? Well, let me ask you the questions. What, what is it you see? See in the world, see in your family, see... You see... We don't all see the same thing. The Holy Spirit puts blinders on us. I, I don't know if you know what I mean. See, I, I was raised when 18-wheelers were horse-drawn carriages uh, and um, raised there in London, in England. Um, at traffic time was when you get all these great... Um, massive horses uh, drawing these long carts full of goods and, and all those horses they had blinders on their eyes have you ever seen that um and, and the blinders meant they couldn't be distracted by what's going on around them they could only see straight ahead um well the holy spirit puts the blinders on and causes us to see what he wants us to see. Um, uh, my own uh, life, at least in something of what I'm talking about, um, as I was a very young um, believer, just beginning to um, understand these, these things, the, the biggest thing that I could see was no one is teaching new believers where we go from here. And not only was no one teaching it, but no one seemed to understand why anyone should. And, and so you, you had great evangelistic crusades where thousands of people would come to Christ and nobody seemed to have a clue that these are babies who need now care and someone to tell them what's next. 
There was no such thing as a, a teacher who would go from church to church and have something similar to an evangelistic crusade, except it would be teaching believers who they were. Nobody was doing it. No one that I knew had done it. And yet that's all I could see. And people would say, oh, you know, 20 people came to Christ last night. And I would say, who's going to teach them where they go from here? And it caused an anger within me, angry at at the church. Why aren't you doing something? It became a burden. And the solution to me seemed so simple. No one else could see it. And I got angry that no one could see it. But of course, no one was supposed to see it. They, They were seeing what they were supposed to see. I was seeing the song that he wanted to sing through me. And I learned to fuel what he caused me to see. Fuel it with prayer. Fuel it with faith action. Giving. And I could ask you the question with all that in mind. What, what is it that excites you? When you think in terms of, what can I say? People have come to me over the years and, and they have said, you know, somebody should really do something about and I've never even thought of it. And I've told them what I've just told you, that that there's something coming out of you. There's something being stirred. There's something exciting you that this, this should be done. And everybody wants someone else to do that. They say, well, go to prayer. Pray it. See, see what, what it is that the Holy Spirit is working in you. But when all is said and done, John was the Christ revealer. I mean, leave out the details of what he did. He came and he revealed Jesus. You know, when they all came to the banks of the Jordan to be baptized, Believe it or not, his main work work was not baptizing, though we call him John the Baptizer, but his main, as he baptized, he revealed Jesus. You remember the great words that he said, there stands one among you. And this vast crowd on the banks of the river Jordan, as he was baptizing, there stands one among you. And, And he's greater than me and he's greater than anything I could say. And you don't know him, he said to the people. He was speaking of Jesus. Or do you remember again when he he shouted out as Jesus was walking through the crowd? He said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Do you remember that? He was the revealer of Jesus. He was the first one to say, look at him. Or do you remember he said this one? He shall baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Yeah, John, that was his work, to reveal Jesus. And as it became obvious who Jesus was, or you could say when John knew that his work now was at its peak, And he said again those words that many of us remember when he said, he, Jesus, must increase, I must decrease. That is, he said, I've done my work. I've introduced Jesus. 
And whatever that song that the Father has written in you through Jesus, whatever song it is that the Holy Spirit now inspires to be sung, um, it all boils down to that. And that, that's the simplicity of it. You say, if, if it was a formula that you had to study and try and do, no, the song is that someone, Jesus, through the Holy Spirit, is living in you. And, and therefore, I don't have to think, what is my destiny? What is this? Rather, as I walk through life, and as I see, and I'm excited, and it's Christ in me. Lord Jesus Christ, live your life in me. Speak your words in me. Think your thoughts. Let, let us become, in fact, functionally one. So it, it, it is then true, Christ who is my life, it is he who is being turned out. He, he, is be, he who is my life unfolded. That great word, I've said it more than once tonight. For me to live is Christ. That, that, that's, that's it, really. That's who he turned out to be, the Christ revealer. But I, I want to backtrack a bit. That, that context that I gave you at the beginning... The, the fact that everybody, all the neighbors, wanted to call this child Zacharias so that he would be just like his father. He would follow in his father's footsteps. He would carry on the family name, Zacharias. And all that hullabaloo about his mother Elizabeth saying, no, he shall be called John. And all the fuss about that. And then they turn to Zacharias and says, you, you've got to take authority here and tell he's, he's to be called Zacharias. And Zacharias said, no, he shall be called John. And that, that's very important, you see. He is not a replica of his father, which in those days was uh, quite a thing to even think of that. That's the greatest thing you could do is just be like your father. Um, th this little child is unique. He's someone who had not been before. He's breaking the family mold. This one is different. And, and that is true of everyone. But for those of us in Christ, it is, you've got to get this. I, I, I guess I've been saying this since the beginning, but it, it comes very specially at this point. He's not Zachariah. No, that's his dad. This one is John. He, he's different. He's unique. He'll not just do what his father did. He'll not be a replica of all the Zacharias in the family. You, me, each one of us, in a unique fashion, we are a new edition of human. We are not just the same old, same old 
with a different face. You have been born again to reveal Jesus in the everyday ordinary of life, to reveal him just in being in a fashion that no one else is. You, you are unique. Your name is not that of your father or your mother. Your name is unique to you. That, that's what this is saying. And, and as I've said before, name in scripture is, is, is the, who you are. And, and as John read through the Old Testament, which was his Bible, he came upon Isaiah in chapter 40, where it says, there's a voice crying in the wilderness Make straight the way of the Lord. And it witnessed within him, that's you, that's you. The voice crying in the wilderness has a name. And that voice was named John. He became the fulfillment of Isaiah chapter 40. God's voice, God's word. It's not disembodied. In the Old Testament, it just said a voice is crying in the wilderness. That is, across the desert dunes, you hear a voice crying. We don't know who it is, said Isaiah, but a voice is crying. A voice is crying in the wilderness. There's a voice crying down by River Jordan. Make ready, prepare the way of the Lord. And as John read those words, the Spirit witness, you are the voice. The voice has a name. It's your name. God's word is embodied in a person. God's word is personally wrapped up in this child called John. At that, you see, his neighbors had said that without knowing it. What shall this child turn out to be? (laughs) He shall turn out the the voice of God that is wrapped up in this child shall now come out through who he is and what he says. Let me say it again. Do you know who you are? Do you know how wonderful you are? That you, your 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 personality, your who you are, you, you are the wrapping. Christ is in you. And you're not just like paper wrapping. You become part of the very tenor of his voice. Your body is the temple, the dwelling, the housing of the Holy Spirit. God's method is the human being. God's method is a man. God's method is a woman. That that, in today's world, that that's massive. You go to denominational headquarters of churches, at least here in the states and in the UK, and and they'll be talking about methods. Give me the method, the plan, by which we're going to do this and do that. And uh, and if I mean I know some of you pastors listen, you know what I'm talking about. When all the books arrive from headquarters this is what you're going to teach the children this is and and some of you even get the the thing in your email of this is what you'll preach on sunday methods you are god's method 
and it changes. There's no one size fits all. What happened in the 1800s does not fit the 21st century. The way God worked in me in the 1950s and 60s is, is, is irrelevant today. It's you who are the message. You are the method. It's all wrapped up in your glorious human skin and person. And, but we so, we so want the one, two, three, four, do this, do that. I, I, I don't know if you know much about how denominations open churches in certain areas. But, but they go and they start getting all the statistics, how many people live there, how many business people live there, how many houses. And yes, that, that's big enough and that's the sort of place we ought to have a church. Uh, what, what, whatever happened to how Jesus described it, saying, I can only do what I see the Father doing and what I hear the Father. Right there, the incarnation, that's God's method. God came among us, wrapped up in a true person. And we continue like that. Uh, when, when Paul went that route, you know, he said, well, we should go to Ephesus because there's so many people there. And if we got a church established there, then, and the spirit said no. Well, that, that sounds daft to me. I, I thought that was the best. Well, well, I guess we'd better go to Bithynia because that's the next greatest population area. And the Spirit said no. Thank God Paul wasn't dictated to by people who said this is where we ought to have a church. He was led by the Spirit, which was to a place so unobvious that it took a dream from God to show him where. Jesus said, you go into all the world and preach the gospel. You go into your world, your world, your world of, of an attorney, your world of the factory, your world of school, your world of home and neighbors, your world, your world. Even your world of nursing home, go into wherever your world is, you no method, just you filled with the Holy Spirit, with the love of God and Jesus Christ looking out through your eyes. You go and see what you turn out to be. That's what he's saying. When the apostle John wrote about this, he said there was a man sent from God whose name was John. A man, a, man, a human being. That's God's method. That's God's method. Sometimes we play the victim with all this. See, we say, well, I just don't have the background, you know, and, and I'm, I'm sorry, but my parents, they were a work of art. And, and I mean, I'm still scarred by my parents. And I, I just don't have the opportunity. I, I'm, I'm doomed just to repeat my parents' life. Well, see, this John that we're talking about, his parents, I told you they were so old that it was a miracle when he was born. So really, he didn't have parents. The, the only parents he knew were so ancient that they were already living in the shadow of their coffin and, and um, couldn't relate to him at all. 
He ended up out there in the deserts. Uh, Talk about lonely. He was alone in the sprawling deserts there by the River Jordan. I'd been there. And if you, you want desolation, the deserts, and that's where essentially he was raised, almost raised himself. Did he go to school? No, I'm sorry. He didn't have education. I mean, not school education. He was just a wild kid running in the desert. And, And anyway, I mean, he lived in the most oppressed country in the third world. There wasn't much opportunity for anybody. And his passion for the scripture... And for prayer had no expression because the only leaders of religion in those days were so dead and corrupt, rotten to the core. No, he he really had no opportunity at all. The fact was, everything I've just said was actually the means by which the song came out. You find yourself where you find yourself today and you can sit for the rest of your life saying, well, other people, they they can sing God's song, but if you were in my circumstance. No, your circumstance is the very means by which you, God's method, sing his song. If John hadn't raised himself in the wilderness, if he hadn't lived in that time of corruption, he never would have come out and said what he said. Well, see, John saw his name in Scripture. And if you read the New Testament, in that same sense, you are on every page. For the New Testament describes who you are in Jesus Christ. And for a kid running wild in the desert to say, Isaiah 40, that's me. That sounds a bit far out. It would be about as far out for you and I to read through Ephesians and Philippians and Colossians and so on and look at those verses and say, that's me, that's me. But it isn't far out, you see, that's the truth. Look at those verses and say that's who I'm turning out to be wherever I find myself don't just be a replica of all the humans before you don't just be a replica of your parents however wonderful they were don't say I'm too young for goodness sake don't say you're too old else you and I are out of this together There's so much potential left in you if you've only got 10 years left to live. That 10 years can affect the world as you pray, as you fulfill whatever the Holy Spirit is causing you to see. Well, there it is. My time is gone. And I trust that I've communicated something of what the Holy Spirit put in my heart as I read those words. And now the blessing of God, who is almighty love, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, that blessing be in you and with you, that you shall go into your world 
and in your world be the light of that world and Christ shall be fulfilled in you. So I bless you and so it is. Amen.